it's quite simple. We are half the population. Can we just have half representation? That's all I want. Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship, this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. Welcome back to series six of our 40 Minute Mental podcast. As much as we've enjoyed our summer break, we are so excited to kick off this brand new series and for you to listen to the incredible conversations we have lined up for you, including today's episode. To kick off this series, we're joined by Sharmadine Reed MBE, an incredible serial entrepreneur and the founder of both War London and The Stack World. It's not every day you get to speak to someone as humble and honest who will give you the real truth about launching your own business. And in today's episode, we dive into how the Stack World was launched right in the middle of a global pandemic, why it's so crucial to remove ego from business, and how despite the shift in the right direction, we're still a long way off from achieving gender equality. I absolutely love talking to Sharmadine, and I know that any aspiring entrepreneurs will gain so much insight from this episode. And if you do enjoy it, please do leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We always love hearing from you. So with all that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's insightful conversation with the wonderful Sharmadine Reed. Hi, Sharmadine. Welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. It's a real pleasure to have you on the pod. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. All the better for having this conversation. We always like to start the podcast with some quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. So if you don't mind finishing these sentences, we'll get cracking. So first up, when I was younger, I always wanted to be... A lawyer. Ah, interesting. You've gone a slightly different path. Was there any particular reason why a lawyer, why you wanted to be a lawyer? I just really felt like there was injustice in the world. And if I was a lawyer, I could solve it. But actually, you know, what I'm learning is there are many ways to execute on your mission. So I'm still doing mine, just in a different way. Yeah, I love that. My first job was? A waitress. Actually, no, a chambermaid in a hotel. And I quickly got promoted to being a waitress. Oh, I love it. I lasted one day at a hotel and I set the fire alarm off by going out the wrong exit, <laughs> which was so embarrassing. <laughs> when starting my career, I'd wish I'd known. I'm not very good at quick fire because I tend to mull everything <laughs> over. That's okay. I, I like say. the thoughtful. That's good. I wish that I knew to save, save more money. Because when I started my career, I earned a lot of money, but I was in my 20s. No one told me to save any of it. So, you know. <laughs> the obvious happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm most energized at work when I... And with the product team building. That's a common answer from founders, that one. Yeah. Brilliant. And finally, can you share something that we wouldn't learn from your CV, whether that's a perceived failure or a setback in your career that we've learned from? Uh, you'd actually learn it all because my public CV actually has commentary on all of my roles. My commentary being that, you know, when I was a stylist and a consultant, I often wanted to go back to university and I was done 
you know, I had this very much push and pull between earning and learning and I just constantly tried to do both and it didn't work out. So you have to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much, Harmony. Well, great to get a snapshot into you, but we're going to dig into it, your career in a bit more detail now. And you've had such a varied career, seemingly have moved very effortlessly between different things and there's been a strong theme of empowering women throughout and um, for the benefit of our listeners it'd be great to understand a bit more about that journey so starting back at the very beginning I know you were raised in Wolverhampton you had a big family I'd love to understand a bit about how much your sort of career has been influenced by your childhood I would say my career has been influenced massively by my childhood I would say that I went to an amazing primary school. All of my education has been really fortunate. It's always been non-fee paying and always high quality. So I went to an incredible primary school that was an amazing like Victorian primary school that, you know, took us to Birmingham Symphony Orchestra and let me write a assembly when I was eight and have other children perform it. And it really encouraged me to be that I could you know, be whatever I wanted to be. Also, the person who made the first bet on me was one of my teachers who filled out the application form for my senior school, which was a very innovative tech-based senior school. So it was totally unusual. It had a completely different curriculum, class structure. You know, we had laptops from age 11. I had my first laptop in 1995. You had to use swipe cards to get in each class. It was completely digitized in the 90s. Had an intranet and a broadcast system and everything. It was great. And I took that for granted. I just thought that was normal, that all schools did that. And then I realized it wasn't. So, yeah, they gave me business studies lessons from age 11. Not that it helped, but, like, it just familiarized you with the language, you know. So from age 11, we did business studies and then I moved to London. I I did foundation art, which was the best year of my educational life. I could explore different creative pathways and try a bit of screen printing and textiles and photography. And I loved it so much. And then I moved to London when I was 19 to do a fashion communication degree at Central St. Martin's. When I got there, I found that I spent so many years prepping for that degree that I actually got there and kind of knew so much that I had loads of free time. So in that free time, I worked the whole way through. I worked for Nicola Formichetti, who was then at Dazed and Confused, and now is a huge creative director. I worked for Kim Jones, who is also a huge creative director, you know, smashing it. Yeah, I don't know. I've been quite lucky at every step of that part and then what happened was when I graduated and started working I was traveling the world doing shoots fashion shoots and I realized that in 2008 in London there were no really interesting retail concepts in beauty but there's so many in Asia and in America 2008 there was no flat white no Instagram (laughs) no influencers do you know what I mean it was a very different landscape life before influencers yeah (laughs) life life before flat whites and influencers so I thought with my money because I told you I was earning loads of money I didn't really know what to do with it I was like I'm gonna open a shop like a nail salon and it's gonna be like you know a clubhouse for my friends so opened it and it just took off like crazy and 
that's basically the start of my entrepreneurial journey was with a nail salon that really changed culture, not only in beauty, but in the whole women's entrepreneurial movement. I realized that it was quite unique to be 24 and have a shop in, you know, zone two in London in that way. And a lot of people were inspired by that journey, even more than the nails themselves. So even though we had this fully functioning, amazing nail salon, it kind of became the mecca for anyone who wanted to start their own business and just kind of pick up on that energy, that vibe. And I realized that actually what the salon did was connect like-minded women, that it was like you were into something a bit alternative, a bit cool. You go to what you knew that you would meet someone else there who kind of was like you. But then I saw a really growing tech scene in London. So now we're talking like 2009, 10, super early. I'd never even heard, people never really said the word entrepreneur, you know, or startup. I think Courier Magazine had just started, you know, flat whites had now come. So there was like <laughs> coffee shops Praise and Courier Lord. Magazine. <laughs> yeah. Coffee shops and Courier Magazine and kind of a bit of a scene. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. We've been using social media to grow our salon to an international audience and no other, no product really does that. So salon software at the time was still very, very old school. still is, to be honest. And um, I was like, I'm using Instagram and Tumblr to drive traffic to a terrible booking system. Wouldn't it be cool if I could build a visual booking system? And that's when I thought about working on Beauty Stack. So now it's like 2015, 16. I was just developing my thesis, thinking about, like learning essentially about startups. I would go to all of these different talks and stuff and be familiarizing myself with that. And then in 2000 and like, I think 17, 18, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I met my co-founders and we started building software. And then that took us up to the pandemic, which was terrible. So then we pivoted and now we're at the stack. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to come on to talk about that. I mean, what a story. I mean, you, one hours itself kind of, clearly developed very quickly into this big successful global brand you earned an mbe for services to beauty along the way were you ready for the kind of pace of growth of that and 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 what were some of those lessons learned from the scaling of of your first business because you were a first-time entrepreneur i guess and um you know many people listening to this will probably be at a similar sort of stage so we'd love to hear what what challenges you overcame I've tried to forget about it, and now you just reminded me about <laughs> so it. So sorry, the trauma, the PTSD, <laughs> the PTSD of scaling. Yeah. The PTSD. You know what? I read a really amazing quote that said, sometimes the second location is the one that is too much and destroys the business. And I would say that was probably true for us. By that I mean I wasn't ready at all is the complete truth. I had huge burnout in 2013. I moved back to my hometown. I like said yes to every opportunity without, I didn't really have a strategy or a plan with WAR because I thought it was going to be a salon where I could get my nails done for free. I thought it was just going to be my side project. So I had no plan. So the problem with not having a plan is I was like a bit of wood floating in the ocean, just going wherever somebody took me. I would say yes to any opportunity. So we 
flew all over the world setting up nail bars. I did like opening ceremony in Tokyo nail bar. We did Grand Prix Monaco. We did British Airways New York. We literally, we went to Russia and set up a nail bar in Russia. It was really? crazy. Wow. So these were like <laughs> pop-up pop up nail bars for clients. I didn't know anything about manufacturing, logistics, people or retail scale. I had been burnt by a few people who definitely tried to take advantage of me, which is a whole different story to do with women in business. And I, I just, you know, after six months, I didn't really want to do it because I loved consulting. I loved it. But people wanted it so bad that I was like, oh, I have to figure out how to make it work. And I would say that my 20s was literally testing every type of format and business model you could do. So I had a product line. We did events. I opened more salons. I had um, concessions within department stores. We did like celebrities in the like on demand for celebrities. We did everything. And the only thing I really liked <laughs> was hiring a nail artist who'd never had a job before. Her earning minimum wage or London living wage because we always paid people well. And then watching their earnings grow. That's the only thing I really liked. It was quite satisfying to think, oh, I can create a brand that people like clients are attracted to, which then can service the people who are working in the space. I liked that a lot. And I also liked when people would say to me, oh, I met so-and-so in your salon, or they'd tell me about the experience they had. That's the bit I really liked. I didn't like, there was so much I didn't like, but I learned it. I really, really was, and I had a baby at the time as well, just, you know, one year after the shop was open, I had my son, Roman. So yeah, it was stressful. And I would say the lesson is do it as quick as possible. Because when you're young, you've got the energy to be resilient, essentially, keep figuring it out. I would say test with like nothing, like figure out what the MVPs. The thing is, at the time of war, there was no information about starting a business. There were no podcasts, Jane. Like, do you get what I mean? There was yeah, nothing. I get most of my learnings were... now from podcasts. So yeah, I can't imagine. Do you know I mean, what I? The first how five I years learned. is business. Yeah, no, please do tell me. How I learned right is I found one because also there were no now blogs because we pioneered the now blog culture. So there was no, there was nothing. There was one ebook by a lady who had founded a salon that eventually got into Selfridges and she ran the Selfridges salon for like 10 years. She wrote an ebook that was literally in Comic Sans for £5 online. And I bought it. (laughs) Yeah. And I sat and read that ebook on my phone all the time. I was constantly reading it. I eventually met her and we're still friends now, which is crazy. But like, the difference now is there's no point me saying like how I would have done it differently or whatever because the circumstances were just different. There was no community, no startup community, no network, no startup information. There was no like Stanford YouTube, how to start a startup. There were no podcasts. There, there weren't all these books, do you know what I mean? Lean startup and stuff. So like it's so easy now. The, the information is so democratic. You can learn how to fail fast and how to figure out what the one thing that people will pay for and double down on that. And that's the only advice I would be is like, 
what are people paying for? Do you think they'll be paying for it in three or five years? Do more of that and do less of the stuff that doesn't pay you. Yeah, yeah, it's great advice. And I think it's interesting, you, you kind of, the good and bad of that first entrepreneurial experience you had, I guess, will have made you a much better founder the next time around. And you clearly kind of have, have achieved a lot, albeit burnt out in the process. Do you think you were that much better equipped? We're going to come on and talk about Beauty Stack and the Stack World, but how do you feel when that, when WAR kind of came to an end, WAR Nails came to an end and you moved on to the next venture? Did you feel more ready for it the next time around? Not at all. Oh, really? I, <laughs> I think that something that doesn't get spoken about enough is, how do I explain it? I don't even know if it's got a name for it, but like business trauma in the same way that, let's say that you're on a therapeutic journey, right? And you start learning how your negative core beliefs that emerged in childhood determine how your relationships are with loved ones, friends, family, etc. There's no real business equivalent of that, which says that, like, for example, you know, business trauma that you might have when you're young, or indeed your core beliefs from family trauma might determine how you act in business. So I would say that my experience with WAR left me very guarded and less collaborative in the first place. It made me think, oh, I don't want to do partnerships. I want to do everything myself. You know what I mean? So it's almost like the same principles that could apply to your personal life, which might be when I was younger, my parents weren't there for me. So I learned I had to rely on myself and I'm not good at asking for help with relationships could also be. In business, I've always had to hustle. With WAR, I had to do everything myself. So therefore, in business, I'm not very good at asking my, or delegating, or asking my co-founders for help, or my investors for help. Do you get what I'm saying? So I actually think, upon reflection, that I brought a lot of the trauma of my first business into the beginnings of my second one. And the thing that I love a lot about startups is it's like, a personal self-development course at a rapid rate. I would say that I'm such a different type of leader because there are all of these really beautiful frameworks and mental models that the startup community shares in order to like get things done and work collaboratively. So yeah, I wasn't prepared. The other thing I would say about not being prepared is startups are completely different. In fact, tell her like VC-backed startups are completely different to anything else. If you want to start a business, that's completely fine. And you could take 10, 15, 20 years to get to whatever goal you want. But if you raise from VC, you're on such a completely different like trajectory that I think unless you've done it before in that model, I don't know if anything prepares you for that, if I'm honest. It's like... The rapidness of it is really overwhelming. It's really tiring. And um, I guess if you'd worked in the city or maybe as a consultant at a big consultancy firm, you've probably got that stamina of expectation. You know what I mean? But I, but I think if you've just started like a normal small business, it's not the same. And people need to really understand that. That's great advice. And thank you for, for, for your honesty on that. There's some really interesting learnings there. I think for anyone listening to this, 
with aspirations of raising from, from his, it is, it, it's a full on process, isn't it? You touched upon your leadership style uh, has, uh, has evolved over the years. And I can totally understand the trauma from your first experiences can, can kind of fall into the next ones. What has been the biggest thing that has evolved you as a leader? Has there been one particular thing or one particular person that's helped kind of you on the, uh, now that in your latest venture? I'm a bit of a magpie of information and I like get lots of different concepts. It's almost like they're in my subconscious because I'm not even thinking about them. And then all of a sudden there'll be like a kernel of like, you know, a nugget of like information that I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it is. So I wouldn't say it's like one person because I like to have a buffet of things going on to keep me sane. So I will do coaching is, I think, critical as a founder. I just don't even know why anyone would try and do this by themselves without that kind of support. I would say I've done everything from hypnotherapy to, you know, wellness treatments, acupuncture and Reiki to like reading every organizational management and psychology and leadership book and watching YouTubes on behavioral economics. I just do like a breadth of stuff. I think the one thing that has made me better is the concept in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, which is about level five leadership and humility and like removing your ego from the situation. Because I think that so much friction in the workplace, in our workplace anyway, would be from people really wanting to prove that they are good at what they do and that they had the idea and that they needed the credit. And when I say they, I mean me. <laughs> so, so I feel like, because what happens is it builds up resentment if you don't feel that you're appreciated in the workplace. So I kind of try to... And I, I still have to work at it, you know, I'm not like complete enlightened here. I try and remove my ego from the situation that actually it doesn't really matter that I am like get constant positive affirmation that I'm doing a good job, right? The company being successful is the positive affirmation. That's the only thing that matters, nothing else. So like if I'm in a meeting I will try and always call out and give credit to whoever's done the relevant piece of work. I don't need to explain. There's so many times, like, for example, if somebody, our team has been with us for a long time, actually, but, like, when we were first starting and people were kind of coming and going as we kind of found our right cultural fit, you know, if I was to let someone go, I'd want to give them, like, a mini lecture on what my thoughts were on their career. <laughs> and I was like... That's your ego. Not, you don't need to do that. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I would say the idea of humility in level five leadership and knowing it's not about you, it's about the company being successful and that's your only responsibility is the thing I always go back to. Thank you, Charmaine. I feel like we've got to talk about your latest venture, just that world, and I'd love to learn a bit about how it came about and how how you've managed this in very trying times over the last 18 months with the pandemic. I'm sure our listeners would be fascinated to learn all about it. Yeah, it was really stressful, to be honest. So like everybody in March, we just thought this was going to be a little three-week thing. 
we had raised quite a large seed, like a flashy seed. We had been in like a closed beta group for 2019. We'd worked through all the kinks and the bugs. We were about to do open access in 2020 and then and then the pandemic hit. And it was funny, actually, because I was just looking at the stats for debt that we're doing. And we still grew 60% on the year before, even with the pandemic. With no, That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing, but not. It's funny because you can be like drowning in self-pity and then you look at the data and the data is actually positive. But yeah. You know, I was telling a negative story because that's how it felt, but actually it was good. We even really, like in the pandemic, we couldn't do anything because beauty had been closed for probably 16 months in total, I think. No, 14 months beauty had been closed. So imagine 14 months of runway, right? Just like, let me set a fire to it. Oh, God, yeah. It's a bit like how I feel about our office that no one's been in for the last 18 months. It's just painful. Same same so it was really painful but what we did was during the pandemic we offered business classes and like zoom networking events for our users when we released open access and anyone could sign up we got like 1800 supplier signups you know which is like 10 percent of what like some of the biggest players in europe are in the space of a few months So, you know, it was exciting, but we couldn't do anything. So I started thinking, okay, what else can we do? What can we do to keep everyone motivated? Because the mental health amongst our community was really bad as well, because they are financially insecure. They're beauty therapists. They, You know what I mean? So um, we did these business events and people bloody loved it. And I, I charged for them really random figures to see what people would pay for. And we did our first event, it was like £45, and like 400 people signed up to it. And I was like, that's crazy, and we're pre-revenue, and people are going to pay for this Zoom event, like maybe we should be doing this. But I still thought I was going to build a big marketplace, and I thought the pandemic was only going to be a few weeks. So I would say if this were to happen again, I would have pivoted way quicker. It's funny, actually, because I was talking to an investor the other day who asked the question. He was like, we had a startup that was in the restaurant business and the revenue went to zero. And within a month, they had home delivery, blah, 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 going. He was like, what took you so long? And I said, has that founder started a startup before? And he went, yeah, he's a third time founder. Da, da, da. And I was like, well, surprise, the bloody surprise. <laughs> like, <laughs> what I mean? yeah. This is my first ever economic crisis as a business owner i've never experienced this before i've never experienced not just as a business owner but we as a generation are completely fortunate in the west to have never been through any sort of world crisis like as a you know young even the 2008 crisis didn't like i wasn't part of the economic landscape in that time it didn't really affect me in that way so I was like, so this is my first big world event, my first big economic crisis, my first startup. Like, of course, next time I'll know to pivot quicker. (laughs) Yeah, 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 totally, totally. So, yeah, just just to go back. So by August, I was a bit also twiddling my thumbs a little bit and I was thinking about how women had been very 
adversely affected by the pandemic. McKinsey did an incredible report on it, how COVID had affected women more. You know, a third of working mothers had lost their jobs due to lack of childcare, etc. And I was thinking about how none of the media outlets are talking about this. And our audience were becoming really receptive to political news as well as business news. And I started thinking about making a women's newspaper as a thought exercise, right? Like a thought experiment. Like what would a newspaper look like if it was exactly the same, but the headlines were written for women? But then August, lockdown was lifted. So we were like back in business, had the big biggest growth of GMV we'd ever had in the company, like three times the year before for August. And then the lockdown got announced again and it went back down to zero. And I was like, oh my God. So so September, I was like, I was just like, do you know what? I started talking to people about the paper, calling it the stack. I did a basic deck. I was like, the stack. We drop the beauty, we go beyond beauty, we serve all women, all women in business across various categories because the other insight was that business coaches, wellness, therapy had shot up as categories on the platform like during the pandemic, right? So I was like, right, the stack world, what is it? I didn't really know if I'm honest and I've only just figured it out the other day. So (laughs) tell us, tell us, tell our listeners. So where I'm at now with the stack world is that we have created this network of mission driven women. They pay for membership. We've now got over 1200 paying members in five months. It's been growing at like, you know, 39% month on month average growth rate, but that includes launch. So I would say roughly without a launch, like 26% month on month, it's been really good. But what I'm realizing is they all want to sell. They all want to sell their stuff to each other. So actually, we've always wanted to be a marketplace for the women's economy. So I would say now that the stack is essentially a community-led global marketplace for the women's creator economy. What we do is we use the business events, we use the politics, the news as our acquisition channel. So people come in to read this content. We don't use ads. We've spent no money on paid media whatsoever. So we write this incredible content with brilliant journalists. People come to the platform. They believe in what we stand for. They sign up to become members. They access content. They connect with other members. And now our next step in this journey is to build groups that they can basically get recurring revenue from. So I guess like OnlyFans for women entrepreneurs is like, Love that. you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah, but with awesome. a red, but but we give them a ready-made client base because we have the membership community. So a lot of these creator economy platforms rely on the creator to already have an audience. They don't necessarily help them grow their audience. You know, it's actually quite hard to find people on like Gumroad or Patreon or anything that is like if you just want to discover. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it actually we launch in the first version of this feature next month september 2021 and yeah what i'm hoping is that people see the stat world as this a lump like global marketplace where women can trade with other women i was like can we recreate what capitalism looks like in a feminine era and how can we lift the global gdp of women's contribution you know to the economy that's kind of my thing 
So yeah, it's going. What a mission! Oh, I'm very, I'm very excited for you, Charmaine. That sounds incredible. And this is a prime example of how much you've done for female empowerment alongside your business. Like, what, what fundamental changes do you do you want to see in the years ahead? Because it feels like there's, yeah, there's a bit of momentum here, but we, there's there's still so much to do. There is not a single gender equality stat that is equal that I've seen of note. There's not one in fundraising. There's not one in board seats. There's not one in world leaders, in governments. You know, our government is still like 30% women. Our boards are 30%. People want to celebrate these small wins. I'm like, yeah, 30%, but there's still 20% missing. You know what I mean? And actually, you probably need 60% to overcome like millennia of patriarchal thinking. Do you know what I mean? So you probably need to over-index on women. So I, I would just like to see a future where these everything at public level represents the citizenship, you know what I mean, of the who they're serving. Yeah. 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 Just Absolutely. it's really simple. It's quite simple. We are half the population. Can we just have half representation? That's all I want. So yeah. Yeah. I mean it shouldn't be too much to ask, but I guess we've got as you said, millennia of this not not changing, but I'm I'm hopeful for the future. So uh, I guess it's people like you and your businesses that are helping to move the, the needle on this. So I, mean, I could I could talk for hours, but we, we're we're nearly at the end here, so we're going to wrap up with our last three questions. This is the forty minute mentor. Do you have a mentor yourself? And if there was one person in the world that could be your mentor, who would it be? I don't have a mentor per se, but I have a roster of incredibly supportive people, many of whom are men, who want me to get to the next stage and they're, you know, helping sponsor me in those ways. If I could have a mentor, kind of changes all the time, to be honest, to who I'm currently obsessed with. Actually, if I could have a mentor, I just finished this book by Professor Linda Scott called The Double X Economy. I'd like a mentor who is academic, who can help guide my thinking to get social impact plus commercial opportunity. Do you know what I mean? You need a balance, I think. Yeah, that's a great, great example. She can advise me on the theory behind our business actions because that book at the end of it, makes suggestions for growing the women's economy. And one of them is, you know, building more spaces and platforms where women buy and sell from other women. So she's really developed, helped develop my thinking through this book. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And given all the success you've had, and I know all the success that, that is coming and the impact you will have, how, how do you want to be remembered at the end of your career? Hmm. At the end of my career... I would like to be remembered for advising governments all over the world on how to increase their country's GDP through gender equality. That's it. Simple and brilliant. Thank you. And final question, Shamadine. For any listeners that are thinking about starting their own business, just as you have done recently, what final piece of advice would you leave them with? Ensure that you nourish your own personal development as well as the growth of your business because if you don't look after yourself, you can't think clearly to develop what that next big idea is. 
Amazing. Shamadine, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the 40 Minute Mental and wish you all the very best for the year ahead. I'm sure it's going to be a very exciting one. Thank you. Thanks so much. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.